Well, good morning, Lake Avenue. How y'all doing this morning? Well, I tell you, I am excited about this message this week, but I must be honest, I didn't get excited until about yesterday at 2 o'clock. I've been wrestling with John the Baptist all week, and honestly, Dr. Waywright has been absolutely no help at all. He's, uh, <laughs> he's been saying, Albert, you should, you, should, you, should eat some wild, you should eat some locust and have some wild honey and... You should, you should dress up in, in camel's hair. And, uh, it's like, Dr. Waybrock, you know, you're trying to get me put out the church. I'm not going to make it. But I did bring some, some locusts, um, and I got them chocolate covered for Dr. Waybright to uh, come and take a bite. Not, not this Sunday? Okay, all right. <laughs> John chapter 1 is where you can find us this week. And I do, uh, I solicit your prayers as we um, seek to see what God would have to say to his people today. Through his word. John chapter 1. Go verses 19 to 29. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 29. If you would, please stand with us as we hear from our Father's word. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who. He was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, uh, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice. Of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one uh, you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here it is, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is our Father's word. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for the privilege to open up your word. God, I pray that in this moment, you would help us to center in on what you would have to say to us this morning. Uh, Just for this moment, just just for this moment, would you silence the the agenda for next week? Would you uh, silence the shopping list and all of the to-dos that have to be done Uh, Just in this moment, uh, would you silence uh, the pressure and the stress of the job? In this moment, would you silence the issues and the struggles with the kids and the different areas that we uh, seem uh, to be overwhelmed by at times? In this moment, would you please silence those things that we may hear your voice so clearly? May these words penetrate our hearts and may we leave this place today transformed. Now, God, I pray that 
the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, that they will be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are my strength and you are my redeemer. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. A 50-inch Samsung HD television for the sale of $798. An upright vacuum cleaner on sale for $28. Uh, Samsung digital camera, 10.2 megapixels on sale for $69. And DVDs all on sale for $9. These were the sale items that were advertised that amassed a crowd of some 2,000 people in the city of Long, uh, 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 New York, uh, there um, in New York City, in the parking lot of a Walmart on a Thursday evening of Thanksgiving. It was there about 9 o'clock there. Uh, in upstate New York, these some 2,000 people gathered together, uh, aspiring to gather these goods. And it was that next morning when they would rush through the door. So much passion, so much energy, so that morning a young 34-year-old worker would be killed by the crowd. This young man, 34, this temporary worker there at Walmart, died that morning, and the newscasters came, and they talked to a young lady by the name of Kimberly Cribbs. Kimberly Cribbs was a bystander, and as she sat and as she watched what took place, the reporters came and they asked, what did you see? Kimberly Cribbs would go on to say, savages. They were like savages. She said, I watched, I watched as workers, as the employees tried to clear the store because someone had died. I watched as they tried to clear the store and ask people to leave because their co-worker had been killed. And she witnessed, and Kimberly Cribs would go on to say that she overheard co-workers saying, our friend, our co-worker has been killed. Would you please leave the store? She would say that I heard the announcement. Our friend, our co-worker has been killed. Would you please leave the store? And she would go on to say that their response was, We've stood in line since 9 o'clock last night. We aren't leaving. She said they kept on shopping. Today in our passage, we talk about a man by the name of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a peculiar man, but he had a very clear mission. His mission and his goal was to prepare the way of the Lord and to announce his coming. John the Baptist, his mission was clear. He was to prepare the way of the Lord and to announce the coming of the Lord. John the Baptist, uh, the, the Old Testament writers would say that he was a voice, that he would be a voice. Sounds like thunder of a voice of thunder sounding off, crying out from the wilderness. Even when asked to explain, who are you? How would you describe yourself? John says, no, I'm not Jesus. I'm not Elijah. I'm nobody. I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness saying, make way, prepare ye the way 
for the Lord. His mission was clear. He was to be a voice crying out, preparing the way for the Lord. And that same voice would ultimately announce the coming of Jesus Christ. He would announce him when Jesus Christ showed up. That would be the voice that would announce Jesus. Now the question is, what did John's preparation look like? What did this preparing the way of the Lord, what did it look like? It was simple. John the Baptist is what uh, my old pastor would call a, a, a son of thunder. He was a preacher. He was one that could just stand flat-footed and just declare the word of the Lord. He had a simple message. It was repent, be baptized, and turn and live differently. Repent, be baptized, and live differently. John the Baptist went forth and he began in the city streets calling forth and saying, repent, repent. This voice of thunder called out and said, repent, repent, literally meaning stop and turn and go the other way. Repent, turn your life around. Not only repent and turn your life around, but John said, be baptized. Be baptized, be washed, be cleansed, be made new, be refreshed. This, this, this idea of baptism was this, the sense of being washed, being cleansed, taking the old dirt off of you and being refreshed and made new in this new commitment that you made. I remember being a young boy and spending many hours playing outside in Mississippi where we would have 100 degree weather and 100% humidity. Um, and uh, they would make for some long sweaty days. And I remember walking in the house and my mother uh, recognizing that I was in the house before my presence made it in the house. Um, my aroma preceded me. Uh, and, and, and she would immediately begin to call out and she'd say, boy, you smell like the outside. Uh, that was her way of saying I needed to be cleansed. Uh, uh, I, I needed to be refreshed. Uh, my body needs to be made new again. It was a sense of going in and out, but you need to take a bath and you need to get that old smelly stuff off of you. This is the sense of baptism. You need to come in from the, from the outside, from the world, come in and be be cleansed, be made new, be refreshed, get the old sweaty scent of sin off of your life and be made new. He said, repent, be baptized. And finally, it, it, it's real simple. He says, live like you've been baptized. L live like you have repented. Allow your life to be different. You repent, you be baptized, your life should look differently. You, you should live a different way. You, you, you can't repent, be baptized, and go back to living the way you used to live. He says you turn, you're baptized, and then you live differently. John was called to prepare the way for the Lord, and he prepared by calling to repentance, baptism, and living differently. Not only does he call us to prepare the way. But John the Baptist is the one who makes the announcement. We see it here in our passage. John the Baptist is there and Jesus walks on the scene and G John the Baptist looks and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, <laughs> you must know that this statement is extremely powerful in that day because Jews were very familiar with this idea of lamb. Uh, it, it immediately takes me back to the book of Genesis in chapter 2, chapter 22, where, where Abraham is called by God to take your son Isaac up to Mount Moriah and take his life. Abraham grabs young Isaac grabs the, 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 the wood for the, for the altar, 
that they would use to make a sacrifice. And he marched up this mountain, taking two servants with him on their way up. Young Isaac, knowing the procedure, knowing what it means to go up and sacrifice. And he's looking around and he's recognizing that something is missing. Young, young Isaac looks around and he says, Dad, I, I, see the, I see the firewood. I see everything that we need for the sacrifice. But where is the lamb? Abraham says to him, God will provide. So they keep walking. And Abraham begins, in obedience to the Lord, begins to take his only son and lay him and tie him down to the altar. He takes his only son, lies him there on the altar, and now Abraham takes the knife lifts it above young Isaac's head and is fully prepared now to take the life of his only son out of obedience to God. In this moment, we have to pause and stop and think, what is young Isaac thinking? What is going on in the mind of young Isaac? Here he knows the process, he knows what sacrifice looks like, and he sees now that I'm on the altar, I am the sacrifice. And now this young boy has to look up to his father and see the pointed edge of the knife that's about to literally take his life. Young Isaac is looking up knowing that he is about to die, his life is about to be taken, he is about to become this sacrifice, he is about to give his life, his own father is about to take his life with this dagger. As Abraham prepares to drop the knife, God says, Abraham, stay your hand. Over in the thicket, there's a ram, and that will be the sacrifice. Abraham pulls young Isaac off of the altar, takes the ram and places it there. And can you imagine young Isaac? Just experience. Almost lost his life. And looks at that ram laying there on the altar. Looks at that ram where he himself was just laying. Looks at that ram and says, you took my place. That, that was about to be me. And you took my place. This would become a custom with the Jewish people as they would go to the temple. They would sacrifice rams. They would sacrifice lambs, uh, goats, turtle doves. They would all be killed in the sense that those animals would take their place. So now, now when John says, look, the Lamb of God. He's saying, look, the one from God who will take my place. This is the Lamb of God, the one who has been sent by God to take my place, to take the death that I deserve. Look, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. See, with, with, with goats and with lamb, they were limited. Your family, it would cover you, and, and, and your lamb would cover you. But this lamb, this lamb would take away the sins of the whole world. He says, look, the Lamb of God. See, because, because that lamb that, that was killed, 
every lamb is still in the ground and is dead. Every goat is still dead. Every, every turtle dove is still dead. Every ram is still dead. But this lamb, this lamb of God, he would be dead for one, two, three days. But early on that Sunday morning, he would rise with all power in his hand, making available to us now this new way of life, all because he took our place. He says, Behold, the one who will take our place and provide for us this new way of life through paying the debt of our sins. Behold, this announcement, can you imagine the depth, the implications, this announcement? Behold, the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of our world. The question is today, the announcement has been made, but are we still shopping? Someone has been killed. Are, are, we, are we still shopping? Are there no implications to this announcement? Is there no response? Does it, is it of no effect to you? Someone has been killed. Are we still shopping? I don't want to put too much of an indictment on these, these, these brothers and sisters of ours who are shopping in this Walmart this morning because they could have easily been like myself, eager, would love to get a, a flat screen, would love to get these things, and would love to be there in the morning. So it's, not, it's, it's one thing to be there and to be caught in this tragic incident, like I'm sure many of them were, just caught off guard, never expected this, never anticipated it, very remorseful, feel very sad. But those, but those who heard the announcement, those who heard the announcement, them, to to them I take issue. You hear the announcement, someone has been killed, but they kept on shopping. Kimberly Cribb said, they, they said, someone has died, but they were so consumed with their desperate desire to pursue their own personal things, that that announcement was of no effect. My question is today, in 2008, here in Lake Avenue Church, as we celebrate the announcement of John the Baptist, the announcement has been made. How do we respond? How do we respond? Do we continue with life as usual? This announcement, my friends, has major implication. And I would submit to you today that we are called to respond how John the Baptist prepared. We are called to respond how John the Baptist prepared. Here, this lamb who has given his life and made it, made it available to us, this new way of living, this new life, this new opportunity. How do we respond to this lamb and this announcement that has been made in our lives? We respond how John the Baptist prepared. We respond, number one, we repent. Ah, as we look there on the cross 
and the powerful sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave for our sins, our number one responsibility to this hand of God that has so graciously given his life for ours, we repent. 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 It's this idea of you're going in one way, you stop you turn and you pursue the other way. Going, out, going, going down paths that, that lead away from God. Going down paths that, that lead you away from the will of God. Many of us today, I'm sure, know what it's like to be going down the wrong path. This idea of repenting is recognizing I'm headed in the wrong direction. This is not the path that God has called my life to go. I am going away from God's will for my life and I know it. This idea says as I pursue my own desires, as I go out after the things that I desire, stop, turn, and head to the cross of Jesus Christ. Stop, turn, and go back to the one who loved you first. Stop, repent, and turn back to God. Not continuing in your same uh, way of living. Not continuing in your same self-deserve. Leave the shopping aisles of sin and turn to God. We respond how John the Baptist prepared. We repent and we are to be baptized. I love it. John's baptism was limited at best. It was limited because the best he could offer was a a physical cleansing and a hope that in their own strength somehow that they would be able to sustain that that God is doing. But now, now, now that the perfect one has come and he's availed to us this new way of living, we are baptized not by water, but he baptized ah, by the Holy Spirit. Now the Spirit of God has been unleashed and now this almighty creator has the power to live inside of us. It's not based on our own strength or our own ability because that's limited at best. But now we can live in the power of Jesus Christ. So our baptism looks differently. It's not a matter of going down underwater. It's more so this idea of being flooded with the presence and the Spirit of God. And and this water baptism is just an outward symbol of what the Spirit of God is doing, literally covering every area of our lives to be filled to the fullness of the measure of God, to be overwhelmed by His presence, to have the Spirit of God fully consume every area of our lives, to turn, to be drenched in the Spirit of God. And now the fun part. To live a life that reflects the work that He's doing inside of us. This is the sticking point. And I would be less than a preacher to leave you there and say, so we now just celebrate that. The reality is that life begins when we leave these stained glass windows, when we leave these double doors. We have to go out and live this life. This isn't some ceremony where we come and celebrate something for a few moments. And, but, but no, 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 no. This announcement has implications and it shows up in the way we live, how we live. You've, been, you've, you've repented, you've been baptized, you're flooded by the Spirit of God. Your life should look like it. By no means am I suggesting that this is easy. No, 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 no. This is, this is a very hard thing. It requires uh, a, a word that we don't like to talk about many times in 2008. It requires, here it is, sacrifice. 
This is not some easy journey. So I, Christians kind of irritate me that, that make it seem like living this Christian life is so easy and I never struggle. I never have any problems. Everything is always just so beautiful. My breath never stinks. Hey, it's always good. No, no, I'm sorry. I've met many bad breath Christians in my life. It's a rough crowd this morning. Um, it, it, it's, it's not a matter of, 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 of you just going out and, and, and living this perfect life. No, this life requires sacrifice. Because for many of us, as soon as we step out of these doors, there's sins and there's evil that, that desires to pull us astray. Paul, Paul himself, the Apostle Paul said, when I would do good, evil was right there. And, 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 and when I wanted to do the right thing, the wrong thing was always right there. And I, I found myself to be warring in my members. It felt like a war going on. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But he doesn't stay there. He says, I Thank God for the power of His grace. I can overcome this sin. We know that Paul, whenever he teaches, like in the book of Ephesians and in Romans, uh, he, he, he usually deals with doctrine and then he deals with duty. He talks about what he does and then he deals with our response. Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. He's talking about what he does and what he has done in us. And then Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. He talks about our response to what he has done. Doctrine and then duty. Well, in Romans it's the same thing. He deals with the idea of what he has done in this life and the victory that we have over sin in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. After 11, he pauses with the doxology and reflects, and then it's time for duty. Verse 12, 1 and 2, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. <laughs> present your bodies a, a, a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. What, what, what a paradox. A, a living sacrifice. Everything I know about a sacrifice means that, that there's something that has to die. And then you're calling me to live while I die. Living sacrifice. Is it, is it that, that he's calling us to live a life for him as we continue to die to our own desires? Live a life for him as we continue to die our old ways. Live a life for him as we continue to kill everything that's not like God that is within us. Yeah, 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 that makes sense because that's why in the gospel he says if you, if you try to save your life, you will, you will lose it. But those of you that are willing to lose your life for the sake of Christ, you will gain it. You will find life. L- lose your life and you get my life. Living sacrifice. It says our life should be a living sacrifice. We, we live for him as we die to our old ways. That was an old, old song at camp that I used to sing that, that really helped me with, with this understanding of how it is that God would want us to respond to what he has done. John, John he preached and he said, y'all prepare the way. But this camp, this camp song, it, it said... Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, a place where, where, where your presence, a place where the Messiah can dwell. He says, pure and holy, remove everything that's not like you so that I may be like you. And then it says, tried and true. God, I, I want you to be able to trust me. Try me. Try me. 
Try me, try me, and, and, and carve out so that I can be true in my witness. And then it says, and with thanksgiving, with a grateful heart, with praise on my lips, I'll be a living, I'll live in your spirit every day, living for you, dying to my old ways. Sanctuary, Lord, for you. There was a second verse, this girl from Africa. I, I never heard it before, but it goes like this. It says, I lay my body upon the altar. Sacrifice, sacrifice. Lord, please do a work in me. Work in me, work in me, God. Things that don't look like you, take it out and work in me. Attitudes that don't reflect you, take them out and work in me. Things that I say that I shouldn't say, work on me. Desires that I shouldn't have, work on me. My selfish greed, work on me. My self-love, work on me. My covetousness, work on me. The things that, that cause me to pass by people and not care about, about their well-being. God, work on me, work on me, work on me, work on me. I lay my body. Upon the altar, Lord, please do a work in me. When was the last time you said, God, work on me? It's not my brother, it's not my sister, it's not my neighbor, it's not my spouse, it's not my child. But it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. God, work in me. Somebody say, work in me, God. Oh, come on, Lake Avenue. Somebody say, work in me, God. Many times we can be so consumed with him working in other people. Do something with them or fix them or you need to help them or you need to get them right. Or my neighbor, God, do something in them. But this says, I lay my body upon the altar. Nobody wants to get on the altar because that's the place of sacrifice, but it's necessary. It's necessary. When was the last time you laid your body on the altar of God and said, God, take out your dagger and do whatever work that you need to do within me? Lord, please do a work in me. I love this. And it says, and when you're finished, it's so good to know that God isn't done with us yet. It's so good to know that this world is not our home. It helps me to understand how someone can be killed in a Walmart over a shopping spree. It just reminds me that God isn't finished with us and this isn't our home. We don't, we're living this life to live again. He has a plan for our life. And when you're finished, it helps me understand poverty and homelessness, people dying because of lack of water, people dying because of lack of food, and we have an abundance of food and water. How are people dying? God, I don't understand, but when you're finished, ah, he has a plan. He has a plan for our life. He is coming back again. The announcement is he has come and he is coming again. So if you're struggling, if you're struggling to understand what God is up to and you're struggling with the culture of this world and why it seems to be going the wrong direction, please know that he's not finished. God still has a plan for this world. He has a plan for his people. And when you're finished, Ah, Paul says, now we see through a glass darkly, but when the perfect one comes, we will understand all things. He will make all things known. And when you're finished, I'll be a living, 
sanctuary, Lord, for you. So on this second Sunday of Advent, as we celebrate the announcement, may we know that there are implications to this announcement. And they are, repent. You come to this church today and you know that you're headed down the wrong path. I wouldn't get in my car. I wouldn't pull out my keys before I paused and took time to do business with God and turn in the other direction. Repent. You don't have to live the way that you're living. Christ has paid the price. Repent. Turn. You don't have to keep going down the path. You feel as if you have no options. I know I'm not talking to everybody, but just in case you showed up today and you're in this place and you feel like, I have no options. I have nowhere to turn. You can turn around. God always allows you turns. Repent. Turn. Be baptized. Be flooded with the presence and the Spirit of God. May He overwhelm you. The Holy Spirit has been unleashed and He desires to take full control of every area of your life. So if you're in this place and you're saying, I'm out of control. My life is out of control. You're a perfect candidate because the Holy Spirit wants to take control. Repent. Be flooded by His Spirit and live a life that reflects the work that he's doing in you. So our prayer today is, Lord, prepare me. God, prepare us to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. And with thanksgiving, Oh, God, we'll be living sanctuaries for you. And as we go through this, this Christmas season, as we celebrate Advent, may this be our mantra. We lay our bodies upon the altar. And we beg you, oh God, please do a work in us as we sit and watch with all generations in great anticipation for the day when you're finished. Ah, we'll be living sanctuaries for you. For your glory. Amen.